welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vandrew Jesus, who still isn't back this week. <laughs> next week, next week, I think we will uh... see the Vandrew Jesus again. Oh, but here we are. Don't look now. Uh, The episode title is actually a warning that this one is fairly skippable. Um, It's mostly filler. It's a lot of, uh, is Dead Name dead? We don't know. Could Dead Name be alive? We also don't know. Um, But the structure of this half season where they actually did have an endgame in mind makes it a little less tedious than it might be otherwise. Uh, We do get introduced to some new characters in the form of Clark and Sabrina, who I immediately start shipping with Spencer. Uh, But also we have quite a bit of mixed messaging here about the line between like good intentions versus bad actions. Uh, And we have a lot of men behaving badly, as always. And the world's dullest queer interlude continues apace. Yes, uh, we'll get into it more specifically. This is another episode that's like getting at some themes that are interesting, but not really going far enough into them. Uh, We do get a little bit more information about the dollhouse. I do feel like some of the liars get to speak to some experiences that they've been needing to speak to for a while. Allison's blueberryification is like chugging along. It's, It's really coming along quite nicely. Um, and yeah, the, the dead name mystery just gets more and more convoluted. Yes. Yes. So we, so we just start right off here. Let's do it. Let's dive right in. All right. So Allison is teary eyed in her room, surrounded by the other liars who are demanding to know what her dad revealed about dead name. This is one of the most frustrating parts of the episode for me is that if you just gave us like a freaking scene of Ken giving the info, it would not be drawn out throughout the whole episode, but yeah. it's filler. So they're trying to make it seem like not filler. So we're just going to get these little crumbs dropped periodically. The first crumbs are that dead name is Allison's sibling. And Kenneth's story is that they were clearly troubled at a young age. By the time Allison was one, they were worried for her safety with dead name in the home and had them institutionalized at Radley. No one in town ever mentioned them because the De Laurentiis family did not move to Rosewood until after Dead Name was put into Radley. Editorial note. To be clear on this plot point, Jessica agreed to put her adopted child in Radley but insisted they move into a house right next door to the man she had already had an affair with and who had fathered Jason, and who had just been sexually assaulted by her secret twin sister, who had, while also at Radley, given birth to his daughter Spencer and her secret twin, Alex Drake. Thank you. Next. (laughs) Kenneth opted not to tell them about their sibling uh, ever, because he wanted them to have a normal childhood free of distraction. What a horrible man. Uh, Jessica wanted to tell them, but he thought they should wait until the kids were older. Like, how much older, dude, when they're 40? Anyway, the liars are full of sympathy, uh, but then Allie drops the bomb 
that when she told her dad that dead name framed her for Mona's murder and kidnapped her friends, dear old dad informed her that it could not have been them because dead name boom, 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 is dead. Yeah, I don't know why we couldn't have just picked up with the end of the scene that the last episode ended with. For some reason, we need to get like artful, quote unquote, flashbacks to this conversation. I don't get it. Uh, But after the credits, we pick up the rest of the story. Um, We learn that uh, suicide mention here, dead name killed themselves at 16 at Radley uh, by ODing on pills. Jessica had the body cremated and Hannah is, is still very convinced that Kenneth is lying. Allison is like weirdly defensive of Kenneth, which here's where I took the note that there could be an interesting thing of Allison sort of aligning herself with her dad because of the power he holds in the family and the fact that he's her only living parent left. But like, this is just part of the the continued blue verification of Allison. There's no real intentionality happening here. And it just feels very flat. Uh, Spencer points out that A responds to dead names so they might in fact be the same person and the new mission of the episode finding proof that dead name is actually dead. How do we do this? Hannah suggests by going to Radley but Aria helpfully reminds the audience that Radley has closed down. Yes. One other thing this story is like if you're watching like a comic book, show, like if you were watching like Smallville or, uh, you know, any of the the comic book shows like on the CW and you see someone who is like standing on the edge of a cliff, gets shot and falls off the cliff into a river. And it's like, oh, that is like the most comic book death. They're clearly not dead. They're clearly going to be back like within one or two episodes uh, to, you know, wreak vengeance on everyone. And this is, this story is exactly like it. Well, they're dead and Ken was out of the country. So there's like no death certificate and the ashes were like scattered over a lake. And there's just like, there are just so many holes in the story that it's shocking. Uh, It's shocking that anyone would believe it even for five seconds. Well, I totally agree. And it also makes like it it, to me, this whole storyline also makes it so clear how much killing off Jessica was a mistake, because I get that it's like functionally they need her to be dead for the sake of not having answers. But God, wouldn't all of this be so much more interesting if Jessica was present for all of this and you had her evading questions and double talking and, you know, lying and maybe even telling one thing to Jason and one thing to Allison uh, she would have been so much more of a welcome presence than the wet, uh, you know, soggy eagle that is Kenneth DeLaurentis. Oh, my God. I completely agree. Jessica would be so dynamic here. And also yeah. she is like, like having Jessica be lying to the liars, I think would be really like that would be some some excellent plotting. Well, and when she shows up later in the episode in a flashback, it really is a moment of like, like she just injects life into this episode. Um, Andrew Parker is so good on this show. Oh, yes. yes. That's like the one reason why I'm I'm okay with the Mary Drake plot is because we get more of her performance on the show. (laughs) Oh, okay. So uh, Caleb and the air mattress are waiting in Hannah's room when she arrives home. Ashley has said that he can spend the night 
since Andrew is released, Hannah is like, oh, great. But mostly she just wants to go to bed. Yes. Uh, in the morning, this episode has a lot of really short scenes. I, that was something I was noticing. Um, in the morning, we see Sarah Harvey fussing over her hair. Emily very sort of uh, unconvincingly is like, I like it. and But Sarah isn't so sure. Uh, Pam comes in with the news that Dr. Sullivan can see both of them today, a thing that Sarah has clearly not been adequately prepped for, as <laughs> when Emily and Pam explain that Dr. Sullivan is a therapist who deals with trauma, what does Sarah do but run off to take a shower? Uh, <laughs> and it, this is like, this is where they're making the like shower to trauma pipeline, like so, so d- obvious. Cause it's like literally the word trauma is mentioned and Sarah Harvey's like, I gotta go take a shower. Um, <laughs> apparently my Sarah Harvey, uh, impression is like from Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> Pam can't force Sarah Harvey to go to therapy, but she can force Emily. Also, she's like a couple of days ago, you were shooting guns. And I was like, LOL. That was a couple of days ago in the world of this show. Guess so. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, yes, there are a lot of short scenes and also like, the day-to-night transitions are, like, yes. extremely sudden. So it's, like, it's, it's, and also, like, we we had that, um, we had that moment in, like, an earlier episode-to-episode where it was, like, the end of one episode is Emily calling the phone tree to say that Sarah Harvey yeah. doesn't think Andrew is A, and she's doing that at night, and then the next thing we know, it's morning, and Spencer is, like, hunched in the kitchen on the phone, still like apparently just getting this message. The last thing that we saw in the previous episode was Sarah Harvey sitting in the dark asking Emily if she liked her hair. And now it's morning and Emily is just getting around to answering. So it's like, what what did they do? Did they just like stare at each other all night? And then this morning Emily is like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. It's like they've been, they've been kind of uh, working this out all night perhaps. <laughs> Oh, so, uh, oh man, Susie Clueless, uh, little old Aria, is Googling to see if she can find online a death certificate or obit for dead name. But of course, she cannot. Uh, Byron makes his first appearance post-kidnapping to talk about her new interest in photography uh, and to offer to put Tanner off for another several days and to suggest that she get over her trauma with a nice game of mini golf. <laughs> oh man. Aria is not interested and claims that she has plans to go to the dark room at Hollis to develop her pictures. He offers her a ride and she's like, my preferred level of parenting is zero, which is yours as well, Bucko. Uh, and then he walks away, clearly congratulating himself on a job well done. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to be as mad at Byron in this episode as usual, because for once, like his controlling nature, I do kind of understand. I mean, his daughter has just been kidnapped. But when he's like, you know, at the beginning of this season, uh, after the liars got out of the dollhouse, uh, Ella was like, oh, your dad is like working on keeping the the cops at bay. And it's like, is this what he's been doing this whole time? <laughs> like, just like having meaningless conversations with Tanner. Um, also, Arya is wearing an amulet that looks like it holds the soul of an ancient Greek god around her neck for most of this episode. Uh, it really is quite something. Yes, you can tell that Arya is starting to get her groove back based on that necklace, I feel like. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. An amulet is always a good sign for Arya. Uh, Hannah wakes up to find Caleb keeping watch at the window and cooing, morning, beautiful. It's really <laughs> gross. It's a gross delivery and a gross line. Uh, he is looking at the cops, which she doesn't clearly doesn't like. She invites him to come back to bed. Uh, he says, you know, he he needs to keep watch because there was a 10 minute gap between when one cop left and then another showed up. She doesn't think anything would ha- will happen, but he is very worried and is going to go off to talk to the cops. Daddy Caleb is in the building. Uh, no real consideration for, you know, asking what his traumatized girlfriend might actually need. Well, also, based on how easily Caleb and Toby and Prezra were able to trick the cops into, like, having Allison escape slash a window for her to be kidnapped, I don't know what Caleb feels like having some cops sit in front of Hannah's house is going to accomplish. Right. Well, and, yeah, it is funny how he's like, I'm going to go talk to the cops. And it's like Caleb, who has always been pretty anti-cop, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <sighs> um, Spencer is at the brew. We we got like Aria googling for the information about uh, if if there's a death certificate for dead name. Now Spencer is at the brew reading an article on her tablet about the investment firm that bought Radley, uh, and then she calls a number mentioned in the article to try and find out where the medical records are being sent. They're going to be shredded, it turns out. Spencer is alarmed, but just then Prezra approaches to ask how she's doing, probably because Arya has been refusing to journal for him. Uh, Even though Prezra is a despicable human trash monster, their interaction is still more cordial than 70% of her interactions with Tobey, so I guess we'll take it. Uh, We get introduced to Sabrina, who is the weed-smoking new baker who is out of blueberries and very clumsy. Um, I'm assuming this is like maybe our first notification that she's queer. She's out of blueberries, everyone. Uh, Just (laughs) wants everyone to know. Uh, But like basically add cancer plus her later explicit queerness. And this will be the sum total of info we ever get about Sabrina's character. Um, She knocks over some kind of like a red, like a raspberry iced tea or something which spills and causes Spencer to have a dollhouse flashback to waking up on the floor covered in blood. And this, like, this is a flashback that Spencer is going to revisit several times. Here in the first moment of it, we see her waking up, we see her covered in blood, and we see her kind of, like, checking herself, thinking that, Mm -hmm. like, maybe she's been grievously wounded. And so in this first moment, it seems like Spencer is like at first afraid that she's been hurt. And then once she realizes that that is not what has happened, like an even greater amount of terror starts to set in. Yeah. I, I we'll talk about this more later, but I think this is like one of A's most brilliant and cruel tricks that they play on any of the liars throughout the series is what they do to Spencer here. Agree. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite the, uh, character introduction for Sabrina here. She's really, uh, she's coming in hot. Um, so a little confab over at the Hastings house, they have a new mission, which is, I, and I, this is also where I feel like the writers were like, well, we got to give the liars liar stuff to do. We got to give them like a MacGuffin or a mission or like a place that they can break into. 
So time to get the patient file, time to get the dead name patient file. And it's very convenient here that Spencer was in Radley. And so that sort of gives them a vague in. Uh, They will go to see if the files have been shredded and plan a little sting. Hannah suggests that Caleb can drive them since he hasn't left her side. And when Emily is like, what about Sarah? We, you know, she was threatened if we tell anybody about this. Hannah is like, I don't even know the girl. (laughs) She She can never throat cut for all I care. I don't want to deal with Caleb right now. Um, it's interesting how it's like the show and the liars are sort of propelling forward in reasons to like keep hiding the truth from their loved ones. Uh, and now we have this like weird, like, I think it would be so much more interesting if rather than it was like, oh, Sarah Harvey might die if we tell people. So like, we can't tell people because of this character that nobody likes or cares about. Like, (laughs) wouldn't it be more interesting if it was like, their trauma and just like their their habit basically of keeping this information is so embedded at this point that there actually is nothing literally keeping them from telling people but they for whatever reason decide that they can't like I feel like that would be so much more interesting and complex well especially all they would have to do is say to one another every time we start to say something a knocks us back that like that yeah. that would be a very reasonable response from all of them uh and it would it would be like just much better character wise than like we must protect this character no one cares about at all costs <laughs> and again continuing on your comment last week nobody is like hey emily what's going on with sarah harvey why is she living with you now <laughs> yeah everyone is just like oh, okay, this is the field's home for wayward girls, okay. Like, no one has even seen Sarah Harvey to see her new haircut and comment on that. Like, well, it's also weird to me that nobody has asked, like, maybe it's just that this isn't on their minds, but that nobody has been like, Emily, do you have a thing for this girl? Like, are you, is this, is this like a single white female situation? Like, what's going on here? Well, yeah, that's because the degayification yes. is here. So it's totally don't ask, don't tell about Emily's love life. Completely, completely. I agree. Um, so Hannah goes off to talk to Caleb. Spencer is fidgety with her water. And she and Emily and Aria have a very brief conversation about how none of them are really doing great. None of them are really up for talking. And Aria apparently threw out her anxiety medication. And we sort of see this look on Spencer's face of just like, like she's like a dog seeing somebody throw a steak in the trash. Yes, yes. Uh, So then Spencer suggests they meet at the brew in an hour, which is confusing because they're all here at Spencer's house now. So I I, I don't know why everyone like, like, can you imagine like being one place with all your friends (laughs) making a plan to like do this heist and then being like, instead of going to do the heist we just talked about now in an hour, we will meet at this coffee shop and then we will depart from there to do the heist. Like, okay. You know, the liars love making things complicated for themselves. Yes, yes. It's a hat on a hat in terms of scheduling. Um, But this gives Spencer just enough time to roll up to the Montgomery house, wave off the cop, uh, saying that she's there to pick something up for Aria. And and then I guess, like, I think the cop might even be Barry Maple in the car, but, like, the cop just, like, sees her, hears that she's going to pick something up, and, like, 
doesn't watch any further because instead of going inside the house, Spencer goes directly to the trash can and starts rooting around through a trash bag full of rotting vegetables to try and find the pills. I, for one, am shocked the Montgomery's do not compost. I have the exact same note. <laughs> I have the exact same note. <laughs> Uh, but also this is a scene that seems specifically designed to humiliate spencer hastings uh and make it seem as if veronica was right to not give her those pills which is ridiculous to the nth degree like the impolitic cruelty of veronica is what has led spencer to this desperation like Spencer is like, is she acting like an addict here who just needs this pill that she took one time in the hospital? Is she somebody who just can't be relied upon to regulate her own emotions? No, as we're going to hear as this episode moves further, like she's someone who's been through a lot of trauma, specifically around being sleep deprived. And now like her parents are basically like recreating the same dynamic for her over and over again. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I also don't buy that Spencer wouldn't bring a pair of disposable gloves to this. Like, come <laughs> on. Um, but yeah, it's it's like, you know, we've already obviously talked about PLL's very uh, shoddy history with mental illness depictions, with addiction depictions. Now it's like they're stigmatizing the whole idea of of medication, it seems, because it's like, the idea of Spencer being addicted to, you know, study aid is seen as the exact same thing as Spencer. Spencer Hastings, who is an extremely anxious person already and now has been through a great deal of trauma. A very good candidate, probably, for some anti-anxiety medication. And the show is like, oh, that little fiending addict. Like, how yeah. dare she? It's, yes. yeah, it's a weird, it's a very weird take. It's a very weird take. Also, like, I feel like they could have so easily had it be a thing where one of like one of the other liars was like, oh, I've been taking the medication and it's actually really been helping me. Like even just one little line like that would have a little bit made this depiction not so one sided. But no, it's like all all or nothing here. Very black and black or white thinking. Um, So the. <laughs> Allison and Kenneth are reading by the fireside like an unhappily married middle-aged couple. It is a weird scene. <laughs> yeah. My note my note on this starts out with Allison and her father are cosplaying my parents <laughs> sitting in chairs not talking occasionally glaring at one another. So definitely <laughs> we definitely have like the same vibes here. <laughs> yes. Yes. It is it, I have to believe that the blocking of this scene was intentionally like intentionally made to make us uncomfortable because it is a very uncomfortable <laughs> it is very uncomfortable um allison lightly inquires about dead names ashes uh kenneth has these sort of answers prepared the ashes were scattered by a lake kenneth wasn't there there was no funeral was kenneth even sad when dead name died allison asks no he was relieved says kenneth oh what a wonderful father yeah, and you know what, for all of Marlene's talk uh, post-6A about how Ken is really the villain of the piece, the show is also making a not-so-subtle argument at this point that he was right, 
that he correctly recognized a danger to his family. Like if dead name is the person who framed Allison for Mona's murder and tried to get her thrown in jail for the rest of her life and who then kidnapped the liars and kept them in an underground bunker, even while the show is saying like, Kenneth was a bad parent to respond this way. They're also saying like, well, Kenneth was correct that this was like a severely unbalanced individual who maybe should not be allowed around the other kids. Yes. Yeah. And by having Allison, like the show is doing such a weird thing with Allison at this point where it's like, she's not really being included in any of the liar stuff. She's sort of exclusively around for like her family drama stuff, but she is like, weirdly sort of aligned with Kenneth even as she's like lightly pushing him she's like very defensive towards him like the show is not clear on Allison's role right now in the narrative it's also not clear on Kenneth's role in the narrative like I actually feel like I understand Jason a lot better than Allison and that's a problem because Allison is ostensibly a main character yeah that that is a really really good point and I agree Jason is much more emotionally centered in this story uh, based on like what this whole imaginary friend drama gaslighting did to him as a youth uh, versus Allison, who is like having a very intense emotional reaction um, and a weird emotional reaction to this news. Like, yes, like she doesn't seem she's she's like getting wrapped up in grief for her previously unknown sibling. She doesn't seem like angry with her father over what's happened and over not like revealing this to her a long time ago uh she doesn't seem like i i don't know she doesn't seem like angry at her sibling uh for possibly being responsible for all of this stuff like it it's a very strange a very strange reaction also uh the fact that you may or may not have had Uh, a homicidal offspring who may or may not have died in Radley, like that all would have been really relevant info when Jessica was murdered. (laughs) Yes. Like, have you never seen Dateline? Come on. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think Allison, again, we'll get to it later. I don't think Allison's reactions to the other liars make much emotional sense at this point either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Uh, At the data storage location, they will not give Spencer her records. But fortunately, Hannah spots an opening to sneak into the warehouse while the file mover guys are futzing about with the truck. Uh, The liars wander around looking for files uh, and we get Hannah and Emily having a little talk about Dr. Sullivan. Emily went to see her today. And she asked whether the liars are okay with one another. Uh, Hannah and Emily kind of like, you know, they're not like really addressing like the weighty emotional issues, but Emily does promise Hannah that they will get there. I think this is one of the more more successful moments of this episode because it's like, I actually kind of like, like Hannah's kind of defiant in this conversation because it's sort of like she's challenging Emily to actually talk about the thing that Hannah has been the only one willing to talk about. Um, And it's, it's sort of a reminder that like, 
yes, more work needs to be done, but the liars will always ultimately have each other's backs. And I'm glad that we get that with Hannah and Emily specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. Agree. Um, so Spencer peeks into another room. That's like a, it, it it's like a room with a table or something. It's like not, there's not, it's kind of nondescript, but she goes into another flashback, which is of her, you know, continuing with her covered in blood this time she sees the trail of blood leading to her door uh, as though a body has been dragged across the floor. When she tries to open the door, it is locked and Spencer is freaking out. And it's, I mean, this is such a great A move, right? Because Spencer, like her biggest fear always is that, you know, she's somehow lost control at some point and hurt somebody or that if she did lose control, she would hurt somebody. Uh, and, you know, Spencer, who's always accusing everybody of being A, even herself, like what a great, um, just completely shattering trick for A to pull on her. Yeah. And I, I will say, too, that like the um, the fake blood in this scene is really well done, like where it's yeah. like soaked into the floor and it really does look like someone moved a body. And also the way that the blood is on Spencer, like not just on her hands, but like on her face and on her mouth a little bit. Like it's really like it's it's really a fascinating scene, because if you just looked at Spencer, you would think like, oh, my gosh, who did she just kill? Right. Yeah. Or like she's a vampire or something. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Um, So Spencer is pulled out of it when Emily kind of comes over and alerts her to the news that Aria has found the file. Um, So we (laughs) scoot on over to another row. This like this warehouse is just like, you know, like rows and rows of boxes. It's like very like department of mysteries. Uh, Here they are. We go over to where Aria has found the file. uh, But (laughs) to the shock of like absolutely no one who has watched two minutes of this show, the file does not say what happened to dead name. Uh, it says that they were on medication for severe depression, but the records uh, from age 13 to 16 are all that there is. No notice of death or release, but the visitor's log shows that Jessica and someone named Carol Ward were the only visitors. Carol Ward, Emily helpfully tells them, is Allison's great aunt who died when they were in the 10th grade. Um, I do like this little moment of like obsessive Emerson where like, of course, Emily is going to memorize Allison's whole family tree. Uh, The moment that they hear the file movers coming back, the liars run for the door. Uh, They get outside, they get away clean, only to meet Caleb who has his arms crossed and a pissy look on his face as if to let them all know that mad dad (laughs) is mad. Yeah. This might as well be Tanner here, the way that he's like smirking (laughs) at them. Aha. I gotcha. Um, You know, you have made the point multiple times, which I think is such a good one that like death is kind of the least interesting place you can take a character because it just like, it's just a dead stop to their journey. And I feel like that is just so apparent here where it's like, okay, Jessica's dead. Now Aunt Carol is dead. So like, why even bring her into this? Now it's like the the only real mystery with dead name at this point is, is dead name alive or dead? Like it's, it's just, it's so, 
it, it leaves no room for nuance because it's just, is somebody dead? Is somebody alive? Is somebody dead? Is somebody alive? And that's like the mystery with everybody now. Also, another call out for like casting uh, somebody being on medication as proof that they are like evil and unstable. Right, right. And I, I just think it's incredible that like we spend so much of this flipping season wondering if dead name is alive or dead. It's like, Schrodinger's dead name the whole yeah. the whole way through, only for in the last episode of Six A, definitively dead name is alive. We find out the whole entire story, and then what is the first freaking thing that they do when we get into Six B? They kill the character. So yes. it's just like oh oh so. Well, and it also goes along with with the point that we've been talking about where it's like there's so much emphasis on A as this dead name singular character only for it to be like, ha ha, Sarah Harvey was involved. And it's like, so what is even the point of the way that we're telling this story? Yeah. I mean, the, the whole point, like everything that they're doing in this story is just like a giant like, look over here. And then they just want to feel like they're so clever with the Oh, but we, you never expected this. Uh, and it's just, it's in no way worth it. Like it's in no way no. worth it for where they're going. No. Um, so then we have this like clearly meant to be artful sort of mini montage of scenes that I'll just run through really quickly. Cause they play out really quickly. Um, Caleb doesn't understand why Hannah was there and why she lied to them. Uh, Byron is relieved that Aria was okay because he didn't know where she was. Uh, Pam has something to tell Emily that she doesn't want Sarah Harvey to know about. Byron is freaking out because, once again, he didn't know where Arya was. Also, LOL, no one cares where Spencer was. Uh, we learn that Caleb put a tracker on Hannah's car, which is a thing I had <clears throat> forgotten about and is so, so, so bad. You know who puts trackers on and in, in people? A. Freaking A. Oh, my God. Um, we learn that Pam found Sarah up on the roof staring at the sky. Uh, Byron wants Arya, he will be escorting her to and from Hollis, and he, but he wants her to know that this is not a punishment. He just needs to know where she is at all times. Hannah wants the tracker off of her car. Caleb says that he probably should have discussed this with her, but he was so scared when she was gone for three weeks and there was nothing he could do to help her. Now, there is an interesting thing here about this idea that the fear of not knowing where the liars were and the fear of losing the liars has sort of, in, in, in essence, turned the liars' loved ones into their own personal A's. I think that's a really interesting idea. Unfortunately, it is yet another idea that this season sort of tosses up in the air like a hot potato and then does nothing with. And furthermore, as you said, like, the show is very cagey about whose side we're supposed to be taking on these various arguments. Yes, I agree that the show is very cagey about it. Um, I, I feel like the, the thing with Caleb here, if they were doing this in terms of like, well, you know, like if they were trying to explore, like, when did you become the thing that you're afraid of? Like if yes. they were going back to like the Paige and Mona moment, uh, I think that that can be really interesting. 
but so little attention is paid to the fact that Caleb is stalking his girlfriend who's been dealing with a stalker for two years. And that this is like an inexcusable and egregious thing to do to your partner at any time, let alone with everything that Hannah has been through and him justifying it by acting like, Oh, won't anyone think about poor Caleb and what he had to go through during this kidnapping uh, is just, I'm, I'm really not here for it. She should break up with him right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely, completely agree. But also uh, the other thing that I'll say about this is that the way that this episode is so weird in that, like, we're getting this drawn out, like this tell don't show uh, where we're getting like Ken just like narrating this whole story about dead name. Like, wouldn't it be at least a little bit dramatic for us to get this moment of like, Emily comes home and Sarah Harvey is on the roof and Pam doesn't know what to do. And all of this is going on. Like that would at least give like a moment of like us maybe caring about Sarah Harvey a little more Um, here again. Like this has all of the emotional resonance of like the cookies were left out on the counter and got stale. Like that's the, (laughs) that's the emotional weight. Uh, this really attached to what's supposed to be big drama here. Yeah, I agree. It almost feels like, um, like a, like a show that is like filming during COVID or like ran out of budget or something in terms of like, just the lack of things that they're really showing here. Like imagine if Hannah found the tracker on her car and thought that a put it there and then came home and was like, Caleb, A put a tracker on my car. And he was like, nope, that was me. Like, that was (laughs) more interesting. Or like you said, if Emily comes home and sees Sarah Harvey up on the roof and maybe even tries to hide it from Pam because she's worried that Pam's going to throw Sarah out, that would be interesting. Or like, you know, a scene of Byron, like driving around. I don't really need to see more scenes of Byron, but like... (laughs) You know, like something other than him being like, I was worried and tried to find you. Yes, yes. This whole like this whole montage really makes me think about Spencer's line to Veronica, where she said, like, don't do that. Don't try to catch me in a lie. It's humiliating. Like, this is humiliating for like for everyone. This is humiliating (laughs) for the liars and for their partners. And for us, the audience witnessing it. Okay, so we we end this vignette with Pam and uh, Pam and Emily talking and Pam thinking that maybe they were too hasty in letting Sarah Harvey stay with them. Uh, she doesn't really know how to help her. Sarah doesn't seem to want to go to therapy. Uh, and if something happens to her while she's there, Pam feels like she could be held responsible. Uh, Emily insists that nothing is going to happen. She can help her. Pam is dubious about this. And we see that Sarah is listening at the door like a sneaky sneak. Yeah, this reminded me of like the scene where um, we see Cece like listening outside of Prezra's door. And it's just like, this is literally, it's literally just a moment of the show showing us Charlotte being A. It's like, this is literally a moment of the show just showing us Sarah being A's minion, even though it's being packaged as something different. Yes, yes. Uh, Okay, but now that that eternal scene is finally over... (laughs) I have found a new 6A ship, and it is the SS Spencer and Sabrina. <laughs> Sabrina. 
Spencer. I, I'm still working it out, but Spencer is at the brew. She is nervously biting her lip and asking Sabrina to get her some weed. Uh, Sabrina is like really annoyed that Prezra is apparently telling people she's a dealer, uh, which she's not. Like she has, like she has a, a medical issue uh, for which she is, you know, able to legally access weed. Uh, she cannot sell Spencer anything. And we see Spencer being like, okay, okay, no, I should never have asked and like getting ready to run away. Uh, and then Sabrina is like just so much grace and compassion. Like Spencer has previously said, like, I don't know how much of my story, you know, and Sabrina's like, I, I do know your story. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And, and when we see Spencer like shut down, like she always does when like, She's actually reached out for help and then feels like, no, fucking of course no one wants to help me. No one ever wants to help me. But Sabrina does want to help her. She says, well, I can't sell you anything, but I am not opposed to, like, sharing what I have. Um, and so she's going to put together a package for Spencer and she'll have it for her tomorrow night. Yes. And it should be noted, Sabrina is played by Troyan's real life best friend, so I do think that that probably contributes to their chemistry. But I agree. They're really sweet. Sabrina is like the only person who's like being like nice to Spencer without an ulterior motive. Also, like, I don't know if this is just my, you know, Pacific Northwest showing. But like, once again, I feel like everybody makes such a big deal about weed. And it's like, you're two white girls. You're going to be fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're, you're really going to be okay. I meant to Google whether or not medical marijuana was legal in Pennsylvania at this time, but then I didn't because ultimately I just didn't care. You know, I don't think the I don't think the writers Googled it either. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Emily wakes up and no Sarah. Uh, this is another scene where I was like, what is the timing been? Because it it's sort of like, did Sarah go to bed that night acting weird but like because she'd overheard that conversation which seemed to happen sometime during the middle of the day and then like sneak out in the middle of the night I guess maybe I don't know uh she sees that oh, her window is open and there's a real sort of like wherefore art thou Sarah vibe yes yes and again this is like the emotional weight of this because of of the complete like lack of characterization that we've had for Sarah, the lack of effort that has gone into this like Instapot relationship that she's formed with Emily. Like the, the weight of this is basically like Emily and Pam saying to each other, where is the package of stale cookies that were on the counter? Like that, <laughs> that is, that, that is the emotional weight that is brought to bear here. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is true. So at the De Laurentiis house, Jason is looking at an old picture of him and Allie uh, and being upset because, you know, his parents gaslit him from a young age into doubting both himself and reality. Um, I'm really going to say that, like, the liars are not the only people who should be in therapy at this point. Um, I think that I think that Jason in particular, I also think Caleb and Byron uh, and Pam, I just think that, like, Dr. Sullivan's dance card should be really, really, really full um, at, at this yeah. time. Um, but uh, Allison shows him the Radley file, 
uh, which the liars, we didn't see them steal it, but here we just, you know, like tell, don't show. We learned that they stole it. Uh, and that now they have given it to Allison, which we haven't seen them interact with Allison since their heist, but they did. Um, they sent it over by carrier pigeon. Anyway, uh, when Jason learns that there is an Aunt Carol connection, we get a truly amazing flashback, a Jason flashback. And this is a flashback to that time when he got thrown down an elevator shaft. <laughs> as one does. As, as one does. He was thrown down the elevator shaft. He thought that Wilden was after him. And then he checked himself out of the hospital, like, hobbling out, like, all <laughs> bloody and bandaged and in traction. He, like, hobbled out. He got in his car. He needed a place to hide out from Wilden. And knowing that Aunt Carol was dead and no one was living in her house, he thought he would hide out there. He, he drove up and he finds Jessica on the porch who is, like, completely unconcerned with his battered and beaten <laughs> appearance. Like, she doesn't even, she doesn't even ask, like, what happens to you? Like, she's just like, oh, here is Jason looking like the spirit of 76, wandering up the walk, no follow-ups, like, nothing. <laughs> she's like, he's like, I just need a place to crash. Can I come in? And she's like, no. And he's like, please, please, can I come in? And she's like, no, it's a mess. I'm just here to spruce up the property. And he's like, before you sell it? She's like, no, I'm not selling it. I'm just keeping it. But it's a mess. You can't come in. Go away. <laughs> and Jason is like, you know, as Jason ever is, he's like very kind of confused by this. Um, she's like, you can't come in. There are plumbing issues. Um, get yourself gone. Uh, and he's like, I don't understand. And then he hears noises like someone is like rustling around inside. It might be a raccoon. It might be his imaginary friend <laughs> sibling. We have no idea. Um, and then Jessica's like, nope, nope, it's just the wind. Go home and we'll talk about it later. And now he is here and he is wondering if dead name might have been inside. Oh, my God. My favorite part of this interaction is that he tells this whole story and <laughs> Allison is like, maybe dead name is alive. And Jason and, and was and was hiding out or, or like maybe somebody was staying at the house and Jason's eyes go wide and he says, like dead name, as though <laughs> he had told that whole story just because it occurred to him, but had not put together the fact that perhaps their not actually dead sibling was the one rustling around inside the house. Listen, there is a reason I think he's a good match for Arya. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that is actually so true. That would be such an Arya line. Also, I really feel for Jason. Like, this is he has been dealt a terrible hand here. There is something objectively hilarious about a grown man saying, they made me doubt myself. <laughs> It's just delivered so earnestly, you know? But also, like, I feel so bad for Jason. Like, I do Jessica, Jessica is the only parent who has shown him any care or warmth. But, like, for him, it's just very normal that, like, you would be, like, shuffling along, mortally wounded and in peril. <laughs> and then your parent would be like, no, no, I need to see to these begonias. <laughs> like, 
I'll see you at home. And then the the funny thing too is like we know that Jason like basically disappeared after that. So it's like yes, she's like I'll see you at home. And then she didn't see Jason for like the next six months or something <laughs> or the next month, you know, time yes. whatever. Yeah. Oh my god, what a ridiculous scene. What a ridiculous character. But you know what? Like god god love Jason De Laurentiis. Like he's he is I would say he is like a bright spot in this rather bleary dreary episode. Yeah. Um so somehow this is another thing that we saw off screen or that it took place off screen, Emily tracking Sarah down, which seems Somewhat significant, like presumably Sarah still has the burner phone of Caleb's, so like she wasn't that hard to track down. Or like we don't know, we don't know. Somehow Emily found her. They're at the brew. We learn that Sarah went home, uh, hoping that maybe things would be different with her mom, but alas, they were not. Sarah says that she didn't want to cause any more problems between Emily and Pam. She screwed up and she says that while she knows that she belongs in therapy, she doesn't want to sit in a room talking about her problems. She wants to do simple things. Uh, Yeah, simple things for a simple character. She can't get back the time she lost, but she doesn't want to waste it by having somebody analyze her. And Emily says that she understands. Um, This scene is clearly meant to be very meaningful and uh, it is not. No, it really misses the mark. Also, uh, the whole idea of like, where's the pack of stale crackers really like loses some of its impact when it's like, oh, you could just text the crackers and ask them where they are. And like this little drama would be retired. (laughs) The crackers are at the boot. Very good point. Yeah, they're, they're, they're maybe mixed up with Selena's or uh, with Sabrina's pot cookies. Yeah. Okay, so Aria is on campus. She gets a text from Hannah about whether or not she is going to Aunt Carol's. Aria texts back that she can't because her dad is waiting for her. Uh, Yes, this is like a weird moment where it's like it's not really all that necessary, but I guess they felt like they needed to explain why Aria isn't in the next scene. Um, Yes, and and so I guess we're supposed to assume that Emily is not in the next scene because she's still futzing around with Sarah Harvey. So like, I was like, these scenes were just so like, oh, Emily's doing this, Arya's doing nothing. Here's here's Aunt Carol's. Yeah, it's such a weird character combination. The next scene because it's a car pulls up outside Aunt Carol's and it's Spencer, Hannah, Jason, and Allie, and it was here that it becomes so clear that like. Allie has not been on any of the liar missions, and that's weird. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so weird to see her here, and you're like, it shouldn't be that weird to see her here. She is technically another liar, right? Um, so the four of them get out of the car. Uh, Allie, who is just going to be, like, grief-stricken for the rest of this episode, questions why their sibling would do this to them if they are still alive. Uh, And then she has to be led up to the porch by Hannah like a frightened child about to go into a haunted house. Uh, They go inside. The electricity has been turned off. They go exploring. They just, like, let themselves inside. The house looks like it's in pretty good shape. Also, Hannah's sweater looks very soft. I feel like um, they launched this plan, but, like, it seems that none of them have given much thought, like, did Allison not realize they were going to go into the house is one question that I have. Um, right. Did none of them bring flashlights anticipating that the electricity might be off too? Like, I, it just seems like they were not, um, they were not prepared for actually doing this mission. Also, 
I was under the impression that it is morning. Like, yes, Emily woke up, couldn't find Sarah Harvey, met up with the crackers at the brew, like presumably <laughs> still, still in the morning. And then like Arya is going off in the morning to the dark room. Like, it just seems like this is the start of the day. This is early in the day. Yes, an idea that we will quickly learn is is wrong based on some things that happen in just a little bit. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, at Hollis, Arya is developing photos. She gets to the one of the doll, and as she goes to get more of one of the chemicals needed for developing, uh, she finds a pink color treatment labeled with her name and a post-it that says, You're my doll, bitch. Signed A. Arya has a flashback to the dollhouse when A forced her to dye pink streaks in her hair. Arya refused at first, and then A cut her hair in the night. So Arya, like, woke up, and there was just hair all over her pillowcase. Her hair was shorter. Uh, This flashback is also, I mean, it's traumatic. And this whole thing is definitely a giant violation. Like, the dollhouse itself is a giant violation. But... It's also kind of LOL that Spencer was covered in blood and thinking she murdered someone <laughs> and Arya had to dye her hair. Um, Arya panics. She tries to bust her way out of the dark room only to find that the door is stuck. She is rescued by a new character alert, uh, a guy named Clark, who doesn't know who was in there before Arya, but who did find a wedge inserted underneath her door, which is what was trapping Arya inside. Yes, Clark, who we will later learn is an undercover cop this whole time, which is hilarious. Just like that, like this is how the Rosewood police decided to deal with the liars. It's like we're going to send an undercover cop into the dark room to deal with Aria. Well, also, this speaks to the ineffectiveness of the Rosewood police, because while he was like right next door to her, A, like, snuck in, did a caper, and trapped Arya in her dark room. Like, I don't know why Caleb is worried about their 10-minute shift breaks. Like, this is, this, like, 21 Jump Street thing is already not working. Yes. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Clark is an undercover cop, but in his heart, he's a photographer for National Geographic. Also... I think that this would all hit a lot harder. Like, I get why they didn't want to do this because they didn't want to, like, make Lucy Hale wear an awful wig for this whole season. But, like, give this a little bit of teeth. Like, have have A, like, shave Arya's head or, like, cut her hair in, like, a really weird, like, you know, way that looks bad. Because, like, as it is, she she gets up out of bed and it's like, oh, Arya, what a cute little bob you have. <laughs> and I get that, like, I get that, like, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I want the liars to be like more traumatized or more violated. But I do think it's like it loses a bit of pizzazz when it's like her hair looks super cute. And the and the thing from A is like, dye your hair, you'll lose the rest of it. It's like this. The A that would douse Spencer in fake blood, I think, would not have a problem shaving Arya's head. Agreed. Agreed. The only thing, though, that I do kind of like about that is that I feel like there's the implication there that, like, A wants their dolls to look good. Like, A doesn't actually want their dolls to look bad. But again, it's like, that's not an idea that really gets explored. It's just like, well, we can't have our protagonists looking ugly. You know, they're they're the pretty little liars, right? Well, the other thing that is, like, kind of silly about this is that 
it seems like this must be a clue. It seems like this must mean something that A wants Arya to have the pink streaks in her hair. Well, A never knew Arya back when Arya had the pink streaks. So it's just like, it's just totally meaningless. I wonder if it's a Jason misdirection because like Jason. Oh yeah. Yeah. He likes the pink streaks. Sure. Sure. I guess, but it's, yeah, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. Uh, So suddenly it is nighttime. It is like seriously nighttime as team Carol starts to leave the house. Uh, Somehow I guess it's taken them like all day to search this house. And yet they still haven't looked at any of the area outside the house. And now it's dark and they've decided like, maybe it would make more sense to start with the outside areas when you have daylight and then like work your way in. But no, I guess not. Uh, I guess it makes the most sense to deal with the darkly lit areas when it is in fact dark outside. Um, they, they split up into two groups, uh, Allison and Jason and Spencer and Hannah. Hannah declines a call from Caleb. Uh, Spencer stares up at, what are those, like a windmill bird thing? Like a weather vane. Weather vane. That's, that's what I was looking for. Um, and it's unclear whether there's actually a camera in this weather vane or if she's just, you know, going fully into a flashback because she does go into a flashback where we hear the siren, we see the camera staring down at her, we see the blood, and Spencer is saying, what did I do? What did you make me do? Obviously, she's very distressed. Uh, Hannah asks Spencer what's wrong, and Spencer asks Hannah if she remembers everything that A made her do. Hannah says yes, and Spencer replies that she doesn't. She could barely sleep in the dollhouse due to the buzzer. One night, the buzzer didn't go off, and Spencer finally slept, only to wake up covered in blood. Um, she says that she, you know, she doesn't understand what happened. The next morning it was gone. She's afraid of what she might've done. Hannah suggests that maybe Spencer imagined it or that perhaps a put fake blood in there to make Spencer think that she hurt someone. But Spencer tears up saying, what if she really did hurt someone? Uh, Hannah doesn't hug her here, which I'm like, Hannah, come on, like hug your wife. Like she needs, she needs a little (laughs) TLC right now. Yeah, I I like that she tells this to Hannah, though. I feel like there's a lot of power in, yes. like, naming the fear. Like, naming totally. the nameless fear that's been gnawing at you. And also just telling someone about the horrible sleep torture that she had to endure while she was there. Which, having undergone it, she is now revisiting on herself. And her parents are revisiting upon her. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Um, Sarah and Emily are, they're, the show is trying to give them the feel of being on a date. They're trying. And they're like, okay, we want them to have some romantic chemistry. And they're like, "Mm, we've forgotten how to write gay people. So (laughs) that we can't, we can't like do that. And then they're like, okay, maybe these actresses could, no, no, that's not, so they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then they get it. They're like, I know. We're going to have them walk past a fountain. A (laughs) nondescript fountain. And the fountain will signal romance. And so that's what's happening. They're walking by a fountain that we've never seen before and we're never going to see again. And which later we learn they're just at the community pool. So this is like not even like a Philadelphia fountain. This is just like a fountain of rosewood. Um, But they, they walk by this fountain and uh, they're talking about how much they trust each other. 
Uh, and the fountain is supposed to make this feel sort of special and romantic and like a date. First of all, Fountain of Rosewood sounds like a great name for a band. <laughs> Second of all, I love that Sarah's like, should we be wandering around in the dark? You know, we're two kidnapped victims, like maybe not a great idea, maybe a bit triggering. And Emily is like, we're together. We'll be fine. As though she wasn't kidnapped with three of her other friends. <laughs> and guarded by armed guards who were part of the prison transport. Yes. We'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the issues with this part of the season is like the liars' reactions to their trauma are being written like there are moments when they're being written with a lot of care and there are moments when they're being written with zero care because like, you know, you can't just have a season of your characters just sitting inside scared all the time. But like rather than doing the work to, you know, get them to a place where they would say feel comfortable walking around in the dark the writers are just like well we don't really want to deal with that so it's just like it's just fine like they're just out it's they're not worried they're together like it's it's just really lazy it's 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 skipping a few steps out of out of laziness um so in the dark room and this is where like a dark room is always going to be an entertaining place to like set a scene because it's just cool visuals so I feel like they kind of get away with that a little bit here it's a little bit of a cheat um but Arya comes over to look at Clark's photos as he is laying them out he like not at all subtly mentions that he hopes to work for National Geographic someday which like I I just the depth of this undercover operation is hilarious to me like did Clark the undercover cop actually go out and take all of these photos are these like photos that they found on like Google images like how deep does this cover go also, hilarious to me that they're like, Arya is the one that we should be infiltrating when, like, Arya is at Hollis taking pictures while the other liars are literally on a liar mission. Like, <laughs> Arya is the one who is going to know the least, and yet she's the one that Clark is, like, deciding to get an in with. It is really quite funny. Um, he picks up one of Arya's doll photos and says that she has a great eye. She kind of brushes off the praise, but he says that she can't be afraid to show people her work. Uh, he goes to leave, but before he does, he hands over the photo of his that she admired. Oh, yes. At Carol's house in the dead of night, Allison and Jason have discovered a headstone. And on this headstone, it is written, uh, dead name, beloved misgendered child. What a headstone. There are four words on it. Three of them are related to misgendering. And the fourth, beloved, is like kind of a lie based on what we know is like the life story of this character. Like, oh my goodness. Um, Hannah does not believe this means anything. She believes that it could be fake. She wants to dig up the grave. Which Allison is like unduly horrified by, despite the fact that like this whole episode has been about like, is dead name dead? Is dead name alive? Here is this conveniently discovered tombstone. Uh, I think Hannah is quite reasonable in feeling like a healthy degree of skepticism about it. Um, Jason insists that they do not need to dig up the grave. The tombstone is real. Uh, he's like channeling his like Spencer siblinghood uh, by like becoming 
uh, like a plant scientist. And <laughs> the roots are, like my knowledge of botany indicates that the roots are wrapped around the headstone. It's been here for years. Um, and this leads to Spencer theorizing uh, that even if Dead Name is dead, it still all leads back to Dead Name and Bradley. Uh, it must have perhaps been someone who knew them, who they were close to. Yes. And Hannah kind of snaps that, like, Spencer led them down the wrong path. Um, also, like, A, built an underground bunker and kidnapped a bunch of girls. Like, I hardly think a headstone is their biggest trick. But just to, <laughs> just to recap, just to recap, in a matter of a couple of episodes, we've gone from dead name didn't exist to no, dead name did exist, but only as Jason's imaginary friend to no, dead name did exist, but they died in Radley and were cremated. No, they actually were alive and living at Aunt Carol's while Jessica was hiding them. No, no, they were actually dead, just not buried, just not cremated and are buried on the property. And that is why Jessica wanted to hold on to the property. Like, there are so many hats that I can no longer see the sky. It is just ridiculous. Like, this is this this is not the way you write good twisty mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think Jason thinks at this point? He's like, okay, this tombstone is real. And I guess my mom wouldn't let me into the house because there was just a raccoon inside. And she was afraid I would be mauled. I think Jason has forgotten that that story connected with dead name at all because like Allison was the one who made that link for him earlier and he's probably like how funny that I was sort of reflecting on time with mom <laughs> oh boy um, oh my goodness so over at the pool uh, this is where Emily takes all of her girlfriends uh, she and Sarah are swimming together. She says that she's very happy to have made Sarah smile. And Sarah weirdly wants to have a breath holding competition, which seems a little strange for like, you know, girls again who have been kidnapped and cheated death and were like trapped in a smoky dollhouse at one point. Um, I don't know if maybe Sarah is just kind of like testing out how long Emily would be able to go down on her. Like, I'm not really sure what's happening here. Um, what I am sure of is that the show has brought back the time-honored underwater cam, which we have not seen in a while. We watch the girls under the water holding their breath. Sarah pops up very quickly. Emily tells her that it takes practice. Sarah kind of gets a bit of a somber look on her face. She swims to the edge of the pool. Uh, Emily asks what just happened, and Sarah replies that she forgot what it's like to swim. And she tells Emily that nobody has ever looked out for her. Also, why is all of the Sarah Harvey stuff water-based? Is she part mermaid? Is this a splash situation? I don't know. I feel like this is like, um, this is a, this is a bit of a bust. Sarah Harvey doesn't <laughs> even get her own date. Like she gets a recycled date. One time I was like, there was this cab driver in San Francisco uh, where I was shortly after Princess Diana died. And the cab driver was going on about how Elton John just recycled Candle in the Wind for Princess <laughs> Diana. She was like, if I were Diana, I'd want my own damn song. I wouldn't want like this, you know, recycled, change the words business. And I feel like that for Sarah Harvey here. You should at least get your own date. You shouldn't get like, 
a recycled Emily goes into the water with every single girlfriend. Like, you know. This is Emily's only move. See, this is the problem with being that beautiful is like you don't have to have (laughs) other moves. Well, I mean, okay, dates that Emily Fields, dates that we've seen Emily Fields take girls on. She goes to the movies with Maya. They went to the movies sometimes uh, and and made out with popcorn. So she's got that. Uh, Going to the pool, a really big one. Um, Being cold and distant to someone during a square dance. And... (laughs) walking walking bikes by a lake don't forget that time she bullied Paige into going to a party then made her walk through the woods to get frozen yogurt and chase toby <laughs> yeah yeah emily is um emily is not doing her best work here i don't think i don't think either i also don't even know if the show like It's hard to tell whether Emily, the character, is aware that she might be developing a crush on Sarah Harvey because the show, like, is not letting Emily talk about her queerness with anybody. And so it's like, in Emily's mind, is this even a date or not? Is this just her, like, helping out a buddy? Does Sarah even know that Emily is queer? Right. Have they had any conversations about, like, relationships and dating and any of that? I don't know. Like, did Sarah cut her hair in an elaborate attempt to find out if Emily was going to be like, hey, that looks really butch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is this like Sarah's version of, you know, like piercing a particular ear to like send out a signal? Yeah. Also, they they cut her hair so short and now they're like really femming up the look of her. Like she's wearing like earrings, I think, even in the pool. Uh, like mm. maybe they're Emily's earrings. I'm not sure, but she's wearing earrings and she has like a lot of eye makeup on in this episode. I feel like. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they're throwing stuff at the wall with Sarah Harvey and seeing what sticks and not much is sticking. No, it's really not. Oh, so Aria is looking through her pictures, including one that is taken of her room. Uh, Byron comes in and awkwardly talks about making dinner. Arya shows him the picture of her room and actually like talks to her dad about what it was like to be in the dollhouse, what her room looked like, um, how, you know, there was like the closet wasn't a closet. It was just a dirt wall. The window wasn't a window. It was just a dirt wall, uh, how she couldn't get out, etc. And she seems to be like telling him without explicitly saying so. Like, I feel like I was just in a prison and I don't want to feel that way in my own home with my own family. Yeah, I think this is maybe the best scene of the episode. Um, It's really like this is a way in which the show is using Arya's coping mechanism of photography in a really effective way because like her window into showing her dad this and into talking about this is showing this picture of her room, which like on its own looks innocuous enough. Like Byron might look at this picture and be like, Oh, Aria just took a picture of her room. But then when she adds the context of like, this is, this was my life in the dollhouse. Like it makes it that much more gutting. Um, Yeah. I think Lucy does really good work here. I kind of like that. They don't have Byron really say anything. He just kind of hugs her because it's like, I'm sure he doesn't really know what to say. And like, I think what she needs more than anything is just for somebody to listen to her. So I think this is a really good scene. I agree. Um, a <laughs> from, from one dad to another, 
Uh, Papa Caleb is at home drinking his coffee when Hannah walks in. He asks about Spencer uh, and saying that he dropped by Spencer's house, um, that, you know, seeing if they were hungry. But Hannah lies and says that they went out to get food. He asks why she has dirt on her clothes. This, I think, would be a great opportunity for a fake dating scenario, wherein Hannah's cover for doing a mystery stuff is that she and Spencer are hooking up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm just saying it practically writes itself. Uh, Hannah has brought some clothes over. He says that he is here to stay for a while. Bad form of Ashley not to check with Hannah before agreeing to this. Um, Ashley is not in this episode, and uh, you feel that. You feel the lack of her in this episode. Hannah says that she would rather Caleb didn't stay because he is suffocating her. And she really clearly articulates what she's experiencing and what she needs. She says that his constant need to keep tabs on her makes her feel like she is back in that bunker. And that isn't what she needs, which like, I love that Hannah, again, the character who has been through the most therapy, the character who who has really taken herself on the most is like really clearly stating, this is how this makes me feel. And this is not what I need. Finally, for the first time, Caleb asks what she does need in a way that is like very like pissy and like almost rhetorical. She says that she needs a little bit of space and he like gets up frowning and huffing and without another word, picks up his stuff and leaves and doesn't speak to her, which like, dude, your girlfriend has been kidnapped. She has been through a degree of trauma that you cannot really comprehend. You have been not asking what she needs and really smothering her in a way that she has finally been able to articulate to you, which is like a positive that she feels that she can trust you enough that she can articulate that to you. You ask for what she needs. She clearly tells you and you have the gall to be upset with her about it. This is very bad boyfriend behavior. A hundred percent. Like there were times in, in earlier seasons where I felt like they should just break up, but like here, there is not a reason to stay with a man who is behaving in the way that he is behaving. Like he, he wants to act like he is, you know, doing the most to protect her, but he is not like, he is not doing anything that is considerate of her in any way. No, no, he is not. He's not listening to her at all. And um, yeah, it really, it really sucks to see that. I yeah. Want it, it is, it is a bummer. I wish that Hannah always stood up for herself in the way that she's been standing up for herself in this half season. Like when, I agree. when she was when she was confronting Ashley and Caleb and saying like to her mom, "Don't look at him. Look at yes. me. Yes. Like don't don't do that. Look at me. I'm the one who's here. I can tell you what's going on." Uh, and then like here when she's like telling Caleb like, "No, you're suffocating me. It can't be like this. I need something different." I wish that she always had that certainty when she was dealing with them because this Ashley, Caleb, Hannah dynamic uh, is so corrosive and it goes on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere about town, on the, <laughs> on the queer date that I care about in this episode, uh, Spencer has just picked up some cookies from Sabrina. Uh, As Spencer is about to leave, Prezra stops her and gives like 
a preachy little drug-free America lecture a la Nancy Reagan about how drugs don't solve your problems. And Spencer is like, I'm traumatized and sleep deprived, and it is the fucking solution to this particular problem. Good day, sir. And I just say all the best to you, Spencer. You do not need, like, it's just like, it's just like every liar has to have a useless man puttering around telling them what to do. And because uh, because Tobey is not in this episode, uh, poor Spencer winds up saddled with Prezra. Yeah, I feel like, you know, um, obviously we've talked about like PLL's attitudes towards gender are like really antiquated. Their attitudes toward drug use are super antiquated too. It's like, if you take pharmaceuticals, you're like a, you're like a junkie crackhead. If you take pot, you're escaping your problems. And like, it's just like, it's, it's wild. It is really wild. Um, I also, Oh, go ahead. Well, also insomnia is a medical reason why marijuana could be prescribed to you. Like, yes, it is yes. a medical need. Oh, absolutely. And also, I love how Prezra starts this all off by being like, I'm not judging Spencer and then is immediately super <laughs> judgmental. Um, but I do love Spencer. Like, I do love that we get back to back scenes. I think that these like last three scenes of Aria, um, Hannah and Spencer are great because it's like, Aria is finally opening up and like sharing what she needs. It's like each of them are sort of getting to state what they need in a way that I think is really, really good. And I'm really proud of Spencer for like, I had forgotten how this scene ended. And I thought that it ended with her like slinking off ashamed. And I was so glad that it ended with her being like, I can't sleep. Shut up. I'm taking the pot cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Allison returns home to find Kenneth, drinking in the dark she tells him that she was out at aunt carol's kenneth ominously ominously states that she should know why dead name was put into radley then proceeds to tell a story about finding a baby allison in a scalding hot bathtub with dead name standing over her but an interesting thing happens here where like he's like in the middle of this monologue of, of this story and allison kind of cuts him off and was like is like stop we should let dead name rest in peace which on the one hand i'm like oh god allison like you are being such a weirdo about grieving this sibling who you did not know existed a mere 24 hours ago and yet i'm also on board with allison telling kenneth to stop talking (laughs) so (laughs) you know potato potato well this is just like another tedious like Another tedious piece of the story. Like, why couldn't we all, yes. why couldn't we have just gotten this whole story all at one time instead of like doled out piecemeal by Kenneth, uh, a hideous character who no <laughs> one likes? Uh, yes. it, it, it's like the whole, the whole reason that it seems structured like this is to give Allison something to do. Uh, like, mm-hmm. Allison. Allison is like milking the cow of her dad's reluctance to give them real info. And so she's just like a blueberry milkmaid for like the next <laughs> several episodes, just trying to get like a few more drops of information out of Kenneth DeLaurentis. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good way of putting it. Oh. Also, um, I am keeping an eye on this now because the degayification is in effect and because we've talked a lot about why is Emily 
chasing after Sarah Harvey, uh, who was a pale imitation of Allison when Allison is ostensibly single, etc. Um, I am interested to see if Emily and Allison have a scene where they are alone together during this half season. All of their mm-hmm. scenes so far have, like, except for when uh, they were briefly rescued from the dollhouse and then Mona came over uh, to join their, you know, gals being pals hug. Uh, I, and, I, and that's not even really a scene where it's the two of them alone because everybody's there. It's a chaotic scene. They're being rescued. Uh, other than that, all of their scenes together have just been general liar scenes where everybody is there talking mystery stuff. And even in this episode, you know, on the like little caper that Allison finally got to be a part of, Emily wasn't there. Yeah. 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 That's so, a good point. Yeah. We'll definitely need to keep an eye on that. On, on Emerson Watch. Uh, a tag, the black gloved hand is eating candy and watching a computer screen telling them where all the liars are, as it appears they now have trackers on the liars' persons. Yes, which would be an interesting hint of Caleb being A. Um, Also, I felt like earlier in the episode when Arya really quickly finds the file, that would have been a funny, like, Arya is A and just, like, had the file on her the whole time kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But yes, that is the episode. What are your final thoughts? Uh, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a rough one this week. The dead name stuff was really really thick on the ground, yeah. And a lot of this is just filler, and it is just like it was just very drawn out. Yeah, it reminded me of like, um, you know, like one of those shell games, of, of, but like the shell game is like is dead name dead. You know, it's like, oh, look over here, look over here. No, it's under this one. It's under this, you know, and it's like, it's actually it, in a lake. It's a headstone with roots. It's in the house. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. It's Radley. It's cremation. It's burial. Yeah. Right. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, next week, finally, our Lord and Savior returns to us. I am so grateful. Next week is She's No Angel. Um all I really remember about that episode is that Mona returns. Although this is where I think the 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 worm is starting to turn on Leslie Stone, right? Yeah, I think I think we get. Oh man. Okay. Yes, it turns out that like Mona knows Leslie from Radley, and Leslie was like somehow connected to Bethany Young. Is that right? Do I have that right? I don't know. I think it's like a it's like a thing of like, well, now that dead name might actually be dead, we can entertain the possibility that A is a girl because there's no way that if we think dead name is alive, that A could be a girl, right, everybody? Like it's it's so yes. oh god. The gender stuff is just so bad. It is so, so bad. Um yes. but we're getting so close. Next week, Mona is back. Yes. And then pretty soon we're going to be into Hannah doing neck surgery. And then after that, uh, the great tennis ball arcade massacre of the Rosewood Police Department uh, that is also on the horizon. Those take place in the same episode, don't they? I think it's I think it's first is the Hannah does neck surgery. And then like the next episode is tennis ball massacre, I think. Okay. Okay. Then there's also the, like the, there's some good, like Spencer Hannah caper stuff. So I'm excited for that. Oh yeah. And Mona's going to save everybody from the raccoon. Yeah. We've got, we've got some good stuff coming up. 
For sure. For sure. Um, well, any final thoughts on Don't Look Now, other than that we don't need to look at it ever again? <laughs> no, that that is the main takeaway, I think. All right. Well, if you have thoughts on this episode, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. You can also check out our Instagram at everybody a at at everybody a podcast. Is that our is that our Instagram? <laughs> you know that you know the drill. It's in the it's in the notes. Um, anyway, we will be back next week with uh, she's no angel. So till then, that- take care. Thank you.